The good news that Peter takes back to the apostles in Jerusalem reveals that Christ is much bigger than originally thought. We are called with them beyond the boundaries that describe our shared identity as church and tribe. Richard Helmer delivered this sermon on Sunday, May 6, 2007, the fifth Sunday of Easter. In the name of Christ, amen. So yesterday we gathered, as we do each year, as a diocese to discuss mission and ministry. And those two words are often too, ter- too churchy in a way but they say something about who we are and what we do as a Christian community. But this year was a little bit different. It was not the traditional ministry day that we'd grown accustomed to, but it was called a visioning day, which, if truth be told, generated tension in the days that led up to it. Because like good Bay Area folk, many were asking, what will I get out of it? And the even more enlightened and engaged would ask, what will my parish get out of it? But Bishop Mark once again proved in his unflappable way to be unmoved by the tension. And he and the design team walked unperturbed through the questions. And yesterday, hundreds gathered at Grace Cathedral to open in prayer and song and to reflect on what it means to be the beloved Community. The beloved community was a term that was popularized and plowed into the rich, loamy soil of the civil rights movement, and it has borne other titles in other cultures, like Ubuntu in South Africa. Now, in our particularizing culture, where the individual is the primary constituent part, Beloved community says something to us Marinites and particularly to us as the people of God. It was Martin Luther King, of course, who was most singularly responsible for giving the term or the notion of beloved community new legs in a time of tumult. He wrote this passage, which we heard during worship yesterday at Grace Cathedral. Our loyalties must transcend our race, our tribe, our class, and our nation. The end is reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is the creation of the beloved community. It is this type of spirit and this type of love that can transform opposers into friends. It is this type of understanding goodwill that will transform the deep gloomy of the old age into the exuberant gladness of the new age. It is this love which will bring about miracles in the hearts of women and men. Race, tribe, class, and nation. They are old notions, aren't they? The contemporary notion of nation goes back at least 600 years. 
class back even further, and of course, tribe and race, well, they're as ancient as the hills. So, circling back for just a moment, what can you hear in the question, what will I get out of it? It's a question born of choice, isn't it? It's a question, quite frankly, born to some degree of privilege and a question that has roots in class. Because choice is a class privilege. We all know it, and we all know our limitations within our respective classes. It operates most of the time subconsciously, delineating the haves and have-nots and everyone who's in the middle. And in its most insidious form, it places unrealistic demands on our lives and on the lives of our children. And it can, in the worst cases, rob us of our joy, that need for choice. And then there's the second that is like unto it. What will my parish get out of it? And of course, guess what that one's about? Tribe, of course. When was the last time you thought of Church of Our Savior as a tribe? Or the Episcopal Church, for that matter, because we are a tribe. Like all good tribes, from time to time, the Episcopal Church tribe has been having a dust-up recently over who really gets to be chief and who gets to declare the tribal boundaries and rules, right? But being tribal also means we struggle to reflect the changing demographics around us. We are a predominantly Anglo and European American church in this country, It means we have particular ways of seeing the world and particular ways of interacting with each other. We love, for instance, great music here. Most of us live at or above a particular socioeconomic level. Most of us value education and the choices and privileges that education brings. And many of us are leaders in our respective fields or places of work. And I don't mean this necessarily as an indictment. It's just a simple statement of fact about who we are. And that there is nothing more natural in the world than tribes built around like affiliation and customs and rituals and values and worldviews. Peter belonged to a tribe. In the book of Acts today, that rough and tumble continuation of the Gospel of Luke, Peter has just gotten back from a long trip. And some of you might remember we left him in a rather peculiar way last week after he raised Tabitha from the dead. He was in Joppa, staying at the home of a tanner. Now, Peter, in addition to being an apostle of Jesus, was supposed to be a good Jew, at least for the most part. Jesus had stretched the rules at times, but at the end of the day, most of Jesus' followers initially were good and faithful members of their family and tribal religious traditions. So like any good first century Jew, Peter was supposed to follow particular laws and rules about cleanliness. 
The author of Luke Acts doesn't tell us much about what happens, but Peter must have found living for a few days with a tanner at least a little bit unsettling. Tanners were not clean and probably violated all kinds of purity laws that were the tribal customs for Peter. Good, wholesome traditions that would have seemed second nature to him as he would have lived by them since before he could remember. But there he was, outside of the protective envelope of his tribal customs, residing with someone who worked and lived radically differently than he did. And of course the story gets even more interesting as he is next summoned to enter the home of a centurion, no less, a Roman, one of the oppressors representing the occupying power in Israel. Do you start to get the picture? Peter's tribal worldview has been stirred, if not shaken, to the very foundations. And much to his surprise, he encounters God in a vision in these places and discovers the power of the risen Christ amongst the Gentiles, amongst those others, those who are outside the tribe. Now, Peter, had he been a sensible fellow, should have gone quietly back to Jerusalem, kept all of this to himself, and done the proprietary thing of attending to his customary cleanliness as a good Jewish person. But Peter, as we all know, is far from sensible. And so he returns to the heart of his homeland and declares what he has witnessed to the other apostles. And their world is blown wide open. And of course, that's good news for us, actually, because had the apostles not encountered and taken the message of the risen Christ to the Gentiles, to those beyond their tribal boundaries, most of us would likely not be sitting here this morning. Christianity would likely have remained a quiet backwater sect of Judaism and might have risked evaporating into the diaspora. But there Peter was. Jesus, to some degree in his teaching and ministry, and even more so through the resurrection, had crossed the Rubicon of the tribal boundary. He had collapsed boundaries all over the place. The boundaries between life and death, between death and life, between sacred and profane, between the divine and the human, between even enemies and friends, between insiders and outsiders, between rich and poor, between male and female, between individual and community, and between God and the earth. Peter and the apostles' eyes are opened to the new life of the beloved community, built on the foundations of Christ, calling them to love one another in a new and radical way. Tribal identity might still matter. I can easily imagine Peter and the apostles still practicing their tribal customs as good Jewish folk, but that tribal identity is now held with a renewed humility. God is greater than our tribe, greater than the walls of Church of Our Savior, greater than our imaginations dare allow. 
Christ reaching out to people everywhere with salvation, even, and this is good news too, before the church gets its act together. For Peter, his companions, and for all of us Christians across the centuries who have taken baby steps into Jesus' command to build the beloved community, we might be in wonder at the infinite breadth of God's grace in Christ a grace that collapses all of the human boundaries and pushes us into a bold image of God's reign, of a new community drawing all creation together, a beloved community descending from heaven and planted in our midst, among us and within us, only waiting for us to help reveal it. listening to the sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907. Or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley, dot org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to be able to greet you in person very soon. <laughs>